Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Merry Christmas week, everyone. Man, uh, this is the time of year in which we kind of tune our hearts and prepare our hearts for this like coming day Christmas that's going to come. And so everything that we do between the music we listen to and the shows we watch and the movies we watch and the traditions we have are kind of there and kind of built into its DNA, this reality of this preparation for this coming day Christmas as we wait excitingly in anticipation for that day to come. And so as I've been thinking about it this past week, like Christmas in itself has waiting kind of built into its DNA. Like it's just a part of it. And so think about it, like you don't just buy gifts and give them to people, okay? You buy gifts, and then what do you do with them? You wrap them, and then you put them under a tree. Even when Amazon delivers them to your front door, and they have a picture on the front of what you just bought, and you see that, and you know what you're going to get, what do you still do with that gift? you still wrap it and put it under the tree. And so there's this like anticipation, there's this wondering, there's this waiting that's built into the DNA of Christmas. And I don't know about you and what traditions you have, but a lot of the traditions are there to kind of build up our anticipation, our longing, our wondering, because this day is coming, it's fast approaching. And so for us in the Matthews household, you know, we have like a, almost a three-year-old and a three-and-a-half-month-year-old. And so we're starting to kind of try to connect the traditions of the season to the reality of what the season is about, which is Christ coming amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us. And so if I can share with you maybe a little bit of a dad fail in the midst of all this that I think I might have redeemed at the end, but who knows? Uh, we kind of set up the house with Christmas decorations. We put up the tree and then I turned off all the lights. Like every light in the house was out. And I grabbed my son who was almost three years old and he's starting to get this idea of Christmas, what it is, what's it about. And I kind of pulled him close. And I just go, hey buddy, you know, throughout the whole Old Testament, it was dark, but God promised a great light in Jesus. And right when I said that, I plugged in the tree and nothing happened all the lights had burned down. <laughs> and so now I'm sitting there in the dark and kind of, can kind of see my, like my kid is looking up at the tree like in all wonder and excitement, waiting for something to happen. And I'm sitting there going, having to scramble as a dad. I'm like, what do I say? How do I redeem this moment? And so I just look at him and I go, and then there was 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. And they had to keep waiting for the coming of Christ to come. And so here we are, we're waiting. We're in a season of anticipation with Christmas. It's got it built into its DNA in which there's this longing and anticipation for a day that's going to come and everything's going to be what it should be. And yet the reality of it is, as we prepare our hearts in this season for first Christmas, we also need to be preparing our hearts for another Christmas, a second Christmas a second coming of Christ in which when he comes into this world, all things are gonna be made right again because there is a reality of a second Christmas to come, a second coming of Christ to come in which he will come and he will give gifts to all people who have come to know him and trust him and walk deeply with him. That day is coming. 
There's more prophecies in our Bible about the second coming of Christ than there is about the first coming of Christ. And he came the first time. And he will come again in the second time in all glory and all honor. And so we're in this season of preparation. And my hope this morning is that we would linger and prepare our hearts, not just for the Christmas that's coming in a couple days, but the ultimate Christmas that's gonna come when Jesus returns. And so what we're gonna do to kind of prepare our hearts for this time is we're gonna look at these five different gifts of second Christmas, that when Jesus returns, he's gonna give these different gifts to humanity. And as we do so, we're gonna hopefully just let our hearts linger for a moment as we spend so much time and energy and effort preparing our hearts for this Christmas, we're gonna prepare our hearts for the ultimate Christmas to come. So that's what we're gonna do. Look at the five different gifts of second Christmas. So the first gift is that God returns. God returns. And so here's the reality. When Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that we cannot, died the death that we deserve, rose from the grave, conquering death, and then he grabbed his disciples together and said, hey, guess what? I'm coming back. I'm gonna come back. And so there began to be this longing and anticipation for the second coming of Christ. And so the hope of your New Testament is not a political system. It's not a celebrity. It's not an influencer. It's not a better society or more comforts for you in this little transient life that we have. That is not the hope of the scriptures. The hope of the scriptures is Jesus. That the hope of the Old Testament was Jesus and the hope of the New Testament is Jesus returning that God will return. And so the best gift of second Christmas is himself. And that's why it says in Hebrews 9, 28, it says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. He's already done that when he died on that cross and rose from the grave, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. City Bridge, are you eagerly waiting for him? Because he's coming back. And he's coming soon. In fact, for those that have come to trust Christ, the last line of the Bible is the prayer of every faithful believer because Jesus says in the last line of the Bible that he who testifies of these things, he says, surely I'm coming when? Soon. I'm coming soon. And we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen period, end of sentence, end of Bible, but not end of the story. Because what we actually see in the story is we're told how Jesus is gonna come that second time. And it's not as an infant in a manger, but as a glorious king coming back to rescue his bride. Revelation 19 says this, it says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His head has many diadems and he has a name written that nobody knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That's his own blood, by the way, showing the sacrifice that he's done. But the name by which it is written is called the word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white and pure were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is second Christmas. That is the second coming of Christ. That at first Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. And when he came, he came low, right? He came into a manger surrounded by a little bit of animals, right? We put it on Christmas cards. Or as my three-year-old would say, baby's so cute. Right? It's cute. And yet the reality of it is that little baby would grow up to be a man. And that man would give his life for the sake of the world that you might know the goodness and the grace of God. That's first Christmas, but second Christmas, he's not coming low. He's coming high. He's coming highly lifted up in all the glory of God to come back and redeem all things. That is second Christmas. And this is an amazing gift. That as you look at your own world and the world around you, what do you see? You see hardships, you see brokenness. We long for this moment to return in which Jesus will come and set all things right. The hope of the believer who eagerly awaits for Jesus is Jesus. In fact, I did a word study this week throughout the New Testament on the word wait, that we wait. We wait for this moment to come. And it was amazing. I saw all these different moments in which we're called to wait that as we look around the world and go, hey man, life is hard. Romans 8, creation is groaning, I'm groaning. Man, life is hard. And I look around at the world and my world and it's hard, but guess what? I want you to wait. Why? Because one day you will be fully adopted as sons, fully redeemed, fully restored. But man, you know what? As I'm waiting, temptation is real. First Thessalonians 1. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to follow Christ, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so what is he called to do in 1 Thessalonians? He says, wait for the sun to come from heaven. What about this? Man, society is crumbling. Amen? 2 Peter 3. Wait. Wait, because there's a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is the first gift of second Christmas, it's himself, it's God, it's God returning. And the gifts keep on giving. Because the second gift is that as he returns, he's gonna do something, he's gonna render judgment. Now sometimes we read this word judgment and we can kind of think of it as a negative and it can be a negative. But all judgment actually means is to render rightly that God is going to return and he's gonna make all things right, all things correct. No injustice will remain when he returns. And so what we see is the story continues in Revelation 20. We say that then I saw a great white throne and him he was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. There was no place to run, no place to hide in this moment. And I saw the dead, great and small, all humanity, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is called the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in these books according to what they had done. At the first Christmas, Christ came to declare peace, to declare hope, 
to extend an invitation to know God through the sacrifice of the Son of God. And yet at the second Christmas, he's not coming to declare peace. He's coming to declare judgment, to render all things right. And he will reward those that have faithfully followed him. And he will condemn those who haven't. Now, I thought you said this was a gift. This is kind of intense, right? Man, this is a sweet gift. Because you look around at the world today, and what do you see? You see hurt, you see pain, you see rape, you see murder, you see mass killings, you see sexual ideology that is 100% sin that is being propagated by our culture, coming after our kids. And if you're like me, you see that nonsense and you see that sin and what it does in me, sometimes you go, hey God, where are you in this? What are you doing in the midst of all of this stuff? In the, in the world that my sons are gonna grow up in, what are you doing? Where are you? And I will tell you where he is. He is in heaven storing up almighty wrath that on the day of judgment, he will pour out on this world and anyone that has perpetuated this nonsense and these sins and have not repented. On that day, Revelation tells us that on that day, what will happen is the humanity that has perpetuated these sins and nonsense will cry out for rocks to fall upon them. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Answer, no one. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And so if you wanna get on the right side of history, you better get right with this God because he is sovereign over history. And this little four second glimpse called life will seem shallow and insignificant when you stand before him and you have to give an account for your life. That right there, that day will either be the worst day humanly imaginable for some or the most wonderful, glorious, long-awaited day for others. Which one will it be for you? Because what you do with first Christmas will determine what happens to you at second Christmas and how you will experience that moment. Because we long for justice, don't we? That day's coming. We long for wrongs to be made right, don't we? That day's coming. We long to walk in joy and peace and love and not to be afraid that something terrible is gonna happen to someone that we love. That day is coming. And that is what the believer holds onto while society is crumbling around them. That there's a greater hope and he's going to return. And on that day for those that have walked in faith towards Christ, they're not gonna be running away. They're gonna be running towards. And what they're gonna see is the face of God and what they're gonna hear is well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you over much. And watch this. Enter into the joy of your master. Eternal rewards and eternal joy await each and every one of you that have placed your faith in Christ. That is a gift. And that is a day worth waiting for. Yeah. This is the gift of God that he will render judgment. And as he renders judgment for those that have walked in faith with him, he's gonna reverse their suffering. God reverses suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter four says this, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so God is sovereign over the suffering of your life, over the suffering of the season that you're in. There is nothing that has come to you in this life, good or bad, that hasn't first passed through the hands of a sovereign, good, powerful God. Do you know that? You might be thinking right there, okay, well, well, wait, 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 wait. You're saying, God, let me lose my job? Like right before Christmas? Yes. You're saying that God allowed me to get cancer? Yes. You're saying that God allowed for my child to die? Yes. To be abundantly clear, God allowed these things. God did not cause these things. In a broken and sinful world, this is the reality that we live in. But I thought God was all strong and all powerful and all good. How can he allow these things to happen if he is all strong and is all good? It's because he's more strong and more good than we could possibly imagine. Because watch this. It doesn't just say, man, live suffer, I'm sorry, life's hard, and, but it's okay because you're gonna get to go and be with Jesus one day and that's gonna be really awesome. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says that this light and momentary affliction is actually preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So that means that there is something in God's economy that your suffering is actually producing in you and through you and ultimately for you eternal glory. That there's something about the suffering in your life right now that God is sovereignly orchestrating so that heaven will be sweeter for you. And I don't pretend to understand that, but I do love that. And so the reality is that God temporarily allows what he hates so that he can accomplish what he ultimately loves. And any good parent does that to their kids, temporarily allowing suffering to produce ultimate good. One of my favorite quotes is from John Piper, who says, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Man, I wish it was sometimes, right? 
But that's not what life is. Life is a winding and troubled road. Switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories is to help us feel in our bones, not just know in our heads, that God is for us in all these strange terms. He is plotting the course and he's managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is the sovereignty of God over your suffering. Your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. And so I know right now, this season is hard on many of you. That right now, for a lot of us in this room that I've talked to, man, this is the first season in which maybe there's a loved one that's not gonna be there for Christmas because you lost them this past year. Or maybe this is just a season that's a reminder of how lonely you actually feel. If I can encourage you with the words of God, God sees you. God knows. And God is doing something in you, even if we don't understand it, and he's doing something for you, even if we don't fully grasp it. Because he's after your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. So don't fake it. Like I know we're supposed to, like with the lights and the trees and all the whatnot, we're supposed to kind of pretend that Everything's fine on the inside when in reality, we're not feeling the warm fuzzies because life is hard. It's why community is so important that you can actually let people into your reality that you're going into and the reality you're facing. Because God knows that your outer self is wasting away. So as we don't fake it, we also don't lose heart. We have courage, even in the midst of hardships and suffering, because God sees that our outer self is wasting away, but he sees something more, that our inner self can be renewed day by day, because this light and momentary affliction, that when you get to eternity, you'll look back on this moment of your life or any season of suffering that doesn't feel light, that doesn't feel momentary, and what you will actually see it as is somehow light, somehow momentary, because God is reversing the suffering to produce eternal glory so that heaven is sweeter for you. What a gift. That's why we don't look to gifts under the tree to give us like peace and joy, but rather we look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen, those are the things that are eternal. There is a purpose even in your suffering, even in your pain, and God sees you and you're not alone. And one day he's gonna reverse our suffering and make it the sweetest gift we can imagine. That's the third gift. You see, as he's reversing the suffering, he's actually gonna be restoring all things. It says in Revelation 21, as our story continues, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. That's real. That's coming. 
As surely as Jesus was born and placed in a manger, is our God returning and restoring and redeeming all things as he reverses suffering and renders all judgment throughout the entire world. These are the gifts of Christmas. These are the gifts of second Christmas, that he's gonna do a great restoration of the world. If you look at the passage, he restores creation, relationships with God, he restores humanity. There is a great restoration that's coming. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more fear, no more doubt, no more cancer, no more broken arms, no more broken relationships, no more feeling distant from God, but rather the fullness of God that we would dwell with him and he would dwell with us. This is what you were made for. And the reason why sin is such a tragedy into the story is because it separates us from God. And why the cross is such a beautiful part of the story, it's because it reunites us back to God. Jesus is restoring all things and he paid for that with his life. So why would God do that? Why would God write this story? Well, we've seen it all along. Because he loves us. And he wants to be with us. And he wants to demonstrate his full glory, full holiness, full justice. All that he is, so that you would be all you were ever meant to be. And what I love about this series is as we've been moving through it, we've been called, hey, let's rest in this story. Let's abide, let's remain, because this is the story you are living in. This is the story you're living in. And yet so often we don't live like it. Like these are the gifts that are coming for us. And we should celebrate that each and every day. And as we've been moving through the story, we've seen the heart of God throughout the entire story, from creation to fall, to redemption, that his heart has always been to be Emmanuel, God with us. And what I love about our Bible is it's meant to be thought about, it's meant to be meditated upon. And when you look at Revelation, we didn't call this thing like, oh, this is like the end of the story. No, this is the culmination. This is every single thing that God's been doing. And what we see right here is these three distinct words that's easy to read and kind of blow past. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a dwelling place of God. And what I love about the series we've been in is these three words connect to every single movement we've walked through so far. That in creation, God made the heavens and the earth. And in the fall, God declared, hey, I want you to build a dwelling place, a tabernacle for me. And in redemption, the centerpiece of redemption happened in Jerusalem. And so watch this. Watch the heart of God who's writing this entire story from the beginning to the end. That in creation, God made the heavens and the earth. And in it, he created a place called Eden. And in the middle of Eden, if you remember, what did he place in the very center of Eden? The tree of life. Which was meant to be a place in which humanity would reach out in faith and take so that they could trust this God and walk with this God all the day, so that even Eden required active faith for people to dwell with God there. 
And yet we've heard the story, we know the story, that humanity looked at the tree of life as a way to reach out in faith and trust in God, but rather they looked at another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they said, you know what, God, I know you're the author of life, but I wanna write my own story. I wanna be the one who decides what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. So I'm gonna take the pen from you and I'm gonna start entering in my own reality into the story and my own truth. And I'm gonna live my own truth that way. And what happens from there? Sin and separation enters into the story. And yet God's heart is still to be with his people. And so what does he do? Well, the fall comes. And God's heart to be with his people, he declares to them, hey, I want you to build a tabernacle, literally this box. But tabernacle means dwelling place of God. But God so wanted to dwell with his people, even in the midst of their sin, but he said, hey, I can't because sin causes separation. So here's what you're gonna do. One time a year, I want you to take an innocent lamb and I want you to slaughter it. And I want you to bring it into the very center point of the tabernacle, the very center of the dwelling place of God. And just like there was an access point in the garden of the tree of life, he goes, there's another access point to me. And it's not the tree of life, but rather it's what's called the mercy seat in which the blood of God, the blood of the lamb would, would pour out. And when God looked down on his people, he wouldn't see us in our sins, but he would see the sacrifice, the shadow of something to come. But we read that the blood of bulls and goats can never wash us clean. So all of this was a picture of something else to come. And so all of a sudden in redemption, there's this focal point of Jerusalem, the city of peace. Now, if we've seen so far in the story that in creation, there was a center point that gave us an access to God. And in the fall, there was a center point that gave us access to God. What should we be looking for? The center of the story of what happened in Jerusalem and what happened in Jerusalem? The cross, which is the tree of life and the mercy seat combined in which the son of God would be nailed to a tree. And as his blood ran out, it would cover anyone who had trusted in Christ's sacrifice to wash them clean so that they can now have access to God. So we read in Revelation that all of these things are culminating together. We see a new heaven and new earth a new dwelling place of God, a new Jerusalem. And so we've been trained all along to look at the middle. And what's at the center of the story of the culmination of all things? It's the throne of God, where God reigns. That we have full and final access in all things, in all ways, to the very God of the universe because of the Son of God that we will see his face and we will dwell with him forever and ever and ever. The story is about Emmanuel, God with us. And he will reign forever. And that is the final gift, that God reigns forever. It says in Revelation 22, it says, and the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, 
That's back. And we have access to it now. But there's no longer the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but rather the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Then watch this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. The ultimate culmination of all things is God gets the glory. God rules, God reigns forever and ever and ever that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is a really good gift because we've all tried to be our own little gods, writing our own little stories, living our own little lives. And all we have entered into the story is sin and chaos and destruction. And in the eternal state, in the culmination of all things, for all those that have placed their faith in Christ is God on his throne reigning forever. That as you see this moment that coming, all of these gifts that God's giving us, that God returns, God renders judgment, God reverses suffering, God restores all things, God reigns forever. The story is not about you. And yet God in his grace and kindness is inviting you into the story so that you can experience the joy, the love, and the laughter of our triune God. That's the story you're living in. And I want to know, are you living that story? Because tis the season to prepare for second Christmas. And as these things are promised, and as we wait for them, waiting is not passive. Waiting is very active. You see, the last time the word wait is used in our Bible is the last line of the book of Jude. Now, why is that significant? Because Jude is the last book before the book of Revelation where all this is gonna go down. And so what we see in Jude is what do we do in the waiting? It says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ that they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Sound familiar? It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Okay, so what do we do? But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And I want to have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That's what we do in the waiting. See, as we wait, we build ourselves up in the faith. We surround ourselves with God's people and God's word as the Spirit of God works on us and through us. And there's countless opportunities to plug in here at City Bridge, that we are here as a church body, according to Ephesians, to build one another up in the faith so that when all this crazy happens around us, we're not tossed to and fro, left and right. So if you feel like that, build yourself up in the most holy faith, but also pray in the Holy Spirit. You see, what that means is that our prayer life, what we're asking of God should be in line with the spirit of God and the word of God, which means you need to know the word of God. 
and you need to walk by the spirit of God in your life, that you go where he goes, you love what he loves, you hate what he hates, and we find all of that in the word of God as we pray to God in the Holy Spirit. Then we keep ourselves in the love of God. God fully loves you. And if you're in Christ, there's no way to escape that. But so often we don't live that way. So that's why we're called to abide, to rest, to remain in the love of God. That we remind ourselves daily these gifts that we've been given, but also the gifts that are gonna come. And we look to the giver who loves us and cares for us. And we fall more deeply in love with him. Then we have mercy on others, calling people out of the hell that they're in and the hell that they're going towards and calling them to life that's found in Christ. That's why we share our story. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we invite people here that we could have mercy on others. And then finally, that we would hate and repent of any of the sin that's in our lives, that we would repent from anything that's displeasing God as we continue to love what God loves and hates what God hates. Tis the season to prepare our hearts for second Christmas. And waiting is never passive. It's very active. In first Christmas, Jesus came lowly. But in the second Christmas, Jesus comes on high. In the first Christmas, Jesus came to offer salvation. In the second Christmas, he's coming to render judgment. In the first Christmas, Jesus came to take suffering upon himself. In the second Christmas, he's gonna end suffering for every single believer. In the first Christmas, he came to raise from the dead. And in the second Christmas, he's coming to reign forever. The story is not over. It's only just beginning. And all things are culminating in the reality that we will be with God and God will be with us. And we can sing and celebrate for all of eternity that the heart of God from let there be light has always been to be Emmanuel, God with us. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.